0: was was authority, right? Um, And uh, they felt like it is not just by faith and not just by grace, but uh, you can actually buy your salvation during that time uh, uh, because people were not reading the Bible, okay? The Bible was in a different language. It was not in the common man's language. People were not reading the Bible. So people in authority in the church started dictating some of these things. They said, if you pay money, uh, you can actually buy salvation. If you if you pay money, you can actually buy forgiveness, and all these kinds of things started creeping into uh, into the church. And uh, uh, and Martin Luther, and along with several others in different parts uh, times uh, after that, uh, uh, read scripture and began to understand this is not the teaching of scripture. This is not what scripture was teaching, right? Uh, and uh, it is out of that was born these five solas. The five solas are basically the uh, five foundational truths about Scripture, right? Foundational truths about our faith, uh, and it is out of this that the Protestant Reformation started. Uh, so these are important things to understand about Scripture, right? And uh, even even as much as it was, uh, it was back then. I feel like even today, it is important to know these five solas, right? Because even today, uh, and some things that even culture believes, and even maybe even within us. Maybe even you, you might be in church, you might, uh, have, you might have read the Bible, you might have, have a tradition of being Christian for some time, uh, but sometimes we believe that God is a higher power, he has many forms and he has many names and there are different ways to come to, uh, come to faith in God. Uh, uh, God wants us to be good people and good people go to heaven and all these kinds of things. Right? We have all these things in our head uh, because of culture and because of all these things. Uh, some even might believe that God is not all-powerful, God is not all-knowing. Uh, God, God is not all that good. Uh, look at the evil in this world, which means obviously God is not all powerful or God is not good. So we have all these kinds of ideas in mind, right? And so it is important to come back to some of these foundational truths of, of faith. Okay. Uh, so today we're going to look at uh, the third sola, which is grace alone. Okay, Grace alone. For that, I'm going to ask uh, Aishna to read scripture. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. It's in the bulletin. If you, you can open the bulletin or your devices. Someone ask Aishina to read it first. The passage for today has been taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once were... In Jesus' name I pray. Amen even as we begin to look at this uh, passage, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about is how uh, sometimes we go through uh, our uh, Christian walk, our faith in Christ, and sometimes, sometimes we wonder why we don't experience the power of God in our lives. Right? Sometimes we wonder, why is it that I don't experience the power of the gospel? Right? If we, if we feel that the gospel is not powerfully changing me from the inside, Uh, If my heart is not melting when I sing to my Savior, uh, when I am struggling to obey God, when I'm struggling with sin, and I'm struggling to lead a life of holiness, or maybe you're somebody who is struggling even to embrace Christ with all your heart, then we are still living under the guilt of past or present sin. We are struggling to uh, have assurance and confidence in Christ. Uh, when when we go through some of these emotions, when we go through some of these things, and one of the things that happens is that we don't really understand the grace of God. When we don't understand the grace of God, we, we really cannot relish the power of the gospel. The doctrine of God's grace should grip our whole being. When I understand God's grace, it grips us. The doctrine of grace exalts God as sovereign. But not only that, it points to the desperate and fallen condition of sinful humanity. And how this bridge between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man is only bridged by the all-sufficient, all-powerful, saving work of Christ. And it is only because of that we can actually sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. My friend, it is is a deep and a rich understanding of God's grace that that makes our faith come alive. That really gives us power on the inside to live for Christ. uh, God's grace not only touches the depths of human existence, but reveals the very heart of God. We begin to understand who God really is. A rich understanding of God's grace draws us in glorious worship and intimate communion with God. So this morning we're going to slightly get into this idea of understanding what God's grace is. We're going to look at this Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We see the word is repeated in a few places in verse 5. It says it is by grace you have been saved. And in verse 7, it says the incomparable riches of his grace. Verse 8, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. What is grace? And just, I'm not going to define it, but grace simply means gift. Grace simply means gift. It is God's gift. And when you think about gifts, right? Grace is basically gift. When you think about gifts, not every gift really moves you. Okay? Today is actually my uh, son's birthday birthday. He's turning nine, I think, nine. Uh, <laughs> so he, uh, uh, so they so we, they have a tradition. I mean, the kids have a tradition of having, if you're, if you're turning nine, you have nine gifts. If you're turning 12, you have 12 gifts and all these things. They do like a little, uh, a little game in the morning and all that stuff, that, all that happened beautiful in the morning. Uh, but, but you understand that the, the, the best gift is always the last. Right? You always give away all the simple gifts, and then hopefully the last one is probably the best gift. Not every gift really elicits a great response for us. We get gifts for birthdays and anniversaries, surprises, kindness of people when there is a need. When you think of a gift, gift is something you don't work for, gift, gift is something that is given to you, gift is something that is received. You don't earn a gift, right? It, it is free. Right? But not all gifts change your life, okay? If somebody comes and gives you a Starbucks card today, right, they give you a Starbucks card, they say, okay, have 10 free coffees. Well, it's a surprise. You'll be happy, right? If you don't drink coffee, it's too bad. But if you drink coffee, it's a nice gift. You're like, hey, thank you, shake hands, go to Starbucks, have your coffee. Right, that's good. But think of this, if you, right, and I've, I've had some kidney issues and stuff like that, so I understand this. It let, uh, if you have some uh, sickness or disease and you need an organ transplant, let's say your kidney is failed and you're in dialysis and you need a transplant of a kidney, right? And you've got like, let's say less than a month to live and you don't have a match. and you're thinking of, of who is going to give me something like this to live? And then somebody shows up and, and they offer their kidney to you to give you a new lease of life, Man, that gift is something else. You're not telling, hey, thanks for the kidney, see you later. You don't do that, right? You, you see what I'm saying? Not every gift changes, changes your life, right? When we think of God's grace, this is God's gift. So for it to change my life, I need to understand something about this gift. And if I don't understand this gift fully, then it doesn't really change me. The gift is, not, is special not because it's free, Yes, the gift is free, but, but that's not why it's special. It is not special because it's free, but because of how much you need it and how costly it is for the other person. Okay? It's important. And we, we're going we're gonna to slightly drill this inside today. We're going to think through this. How much you need it and how costly it is. Right? And that is grace. And the problem for us is we don't really understand how much we need God's grace. <laughs> We don't understand that. Uh, we, we don't understand how costly this grace was for God and for Jesus. So firstly, as we begin to think about this, we're going to understand, uh, understand, to, understand to rightly understand God's gift, we've got to rightly understand our true condition. So firstly, I'm going to place before you uh, uh, the, the deadness of sin. We are dead in sin. We are dead in sin. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. This is our true condition. This is our reality. Verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts uh, like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Right? Verse 1-3 to talks about our condition, the reality of our condition. This is, this is you, this is me. And the more I understand this is how I can really appreciate the grace of God. So, firstly, scripture says that we are dead in sin. And if we notice, the Bible does not say that you were sick in your sin. There's a huge difference here. If you were sick, right, you can do something about it. You can actually go to the doctor, you, you can take some medicines, you, you can exercise or go on a diet. Right? There's something you could do to, uh, to do about your sickness. Right? You have an option. It is in your hands, but the Bible says you were what? You were dead in your sin and in your transgression. There is nothing that you can do that will change your deadness. You are tracking me? Have you have you seen a dead? Body? Have you? You understand, right? We've seen enough Netflix to understand what dead body is, right? You are dead. There is nothing within the body that can actually make itself come alive. Can it happen? No. Right? There is no degrees of deadness. Yes, of course, there is degrees of sickness. Right? But there's no degrees of deadness. You are either alive or you are dead. And if you're dead, that's it. So, scripture says you are dead in your sins, you are dead in your transgressions. We are spiritually dead. We don't need God as a consultant. We don't need God as a doctor. But what we need at that point, if you're spiritually dead, is a savior who will resurrect you. Romans 5 says, in Adam, and again, we're going to quickly think through this, but in Adam, just as Adam sinned and <laughs> fell, we all fell in Adam. We all died in Adam. We, we sinned in here, we, we fell, we died. And it is because of that, because of Adam who represented us in that state, eh? we are sinners today, we are born in sin. And I want you to think about this, and it, sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? But as I, as, I, as I had kids, and I began to see this in my own children, my, my son, all three of them, but lately my son, Sanjay, when he began to start speaking at the age of whatever, one two. Uh, when Sanjay and Sandeep would play, and uh, they would break a toy, and then immediately Sanjay would come to me, right? The little one, two years old, right? He'll come to me, and immediately, even though it is his fault, he will point his fingers at the other guy, right? It's not my fault; it's him, Sandeep. Right? Two years old. Who broke this? Not me. How many people? How many people are in the room? Only one. Who broke it? Not me, right? <laughs> Where does he learn this? Have you thought about this with kids? I don't know if you're teachers. You've seen, maybe you, you work with little kids. and have you, have you seen the depravity that comes out of children? Who teaches this? You think the parents teach this? You think I've taught my kids to lie through the teeth as a professional? You think I teach them that? No. There is something about our hearts that is broken. It doesn't matter how educated he becomes, Right? We think, oh, well, education is going to solve him. Oh, yeah, we think all this well, well, culture and all, somehow that's going to help. No, my friend, he's going to become a professional liar like I am, right? You're an educated liar. That's what you are. Right? There's something about our broken hearts. There's something about our hearts that's broken. And scripture says we are spiritually broken. We are spiritually what? Dead. You're thinking, does this mean everybody's equally bad? No, everybody's not equally bad. Obviously, there are different things we do. But everybody is equally dead. You tracking me? Everybody is equally dead. You, you could be doing good things. You could, you could work for justice. You could be kind and you could be generous. You could help people. And you could be in that spectrum. Or somebody else could be really evil and there's all that spectrum of wickedness and violence and all these things. But everybody is equally spiritually dead. The good people and the bad people, the nice people and the not so nice. Everybody is spiritually dead. This is our starting point. You are dead on arrival. This is what Ephesians 2 says. It says, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 2 explains this further. It talks about this idea of being enslaved and in bondage. It says, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, in those who are disobedient, this idea of you are enslaved to the ruler of this world. Verse 3 it talks about how we are objects of wrath and condemnation. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. This is who we are. Even as you read scripture, 2 Corinthians 4 says you are blind. Psalm 51 says you are sinful. Jeremiah 17 says you are deceitful. Luke 19 says you are lost. Jeremiah 13 says you are helpless. But but this is what most people think. This this, This is not what we think. This is how we think. We think I'm basically good. We are all basically good. And because I'm basically good, God will have to bless me. I'm basically good. God blesses good people. And because I'm good, God has to take me to heaven. I have to be with him. This is how we think. But this is not what scripture says. We, we can think like that, but that is not the reality. If we understand and if we think like that, we have no idea what our true spiritual condition is. Maybe you're sitting here, you're saying, Ranjit, I don't like this. This is is too honest. I don't like this. Would, Would you rather have another way of teaching that says, oh, you're amazing. You're just amazing. Go try. Go do. Go climb mountains and go give money. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? My friend, scripture gives an honest evaluation of who you are. And yes, it makes us uncomfortable. Yes, I don't like it. But this is the honest truth. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And my friend, unless we grasp our true condition, we will never understand God's grace. We will never understand his grace, and for me, one of, the, uh, one of the stories that capture me in terms of my understanding is uh, it, it's, an, it's a true incident that happened in Chile. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. This is an accident that happened in Chile in 2010, right? It's a mining accident. Do you remember what that is? It's a mining accident. There were 33 men who were trapped. Uh, almost 700 meters or 2,500, 2,500 feet below ground. And it's almost, uh, they say it's like almost two Empire State Building kind of depth. I mean, they're kind of stuck there. I want you to think about, I want you to imagine this. 33 people stuck underground. It's not like they can be Spider-Man and come out. They can't can't do that, right? They can't just, it's not gonna happen. In fact, they say how there was a huge block of stone that weighs like an Empire State building that kind of fell and blocked the whole thing. There is no way they're going to dig out of that place. They are stuck. You're tracking me? They're stuck. They're not getting out. They're not getting out. And every time I think about that story, that is my spiritual condition. That is who I am. That is who we are. There is no way. We are spiritually dead. There is nothing that we can do that can change our situation. We cannot conjure up something and come out of it. No, no way. Unless there is something from the outside that has been done for you. And if you, if you remember that story, that, that incident, I mean, after almost like 69 days, I think, there were people who sent some capsule. There were people from the outside trying to reach them and then help was given to them if you're spiritually there, there has to be something from the outside that has to be done to you. So this is our condition. You are dead in sin. And now the gift of God's grace comes to you at that state. When you are helpless, when you are broken, when you are dead, the gift of God comes to you at that state. All right, let's see what that is. God's grace. Verse four. The grace of God. in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's amazing. I don't know if you've noticed just the the number of times that he kind of says certain things again and again. And I, 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 I'm sure you'll notice that it, it talks about how it uses the phrase with Christ again and again. In verse 5, it says with Christ. Verse 6, you were raised up with Christ, seated us with him that is Christ. And again, in the end of verse 6, heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, again at the end of verse 7, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus it, it, everything is in Christ, it is by Christ, it is through Christ and, and you notice it is by cra- grace alone and through faith alone and this, this, this passage just exudes the idea of how there is nothing you and I can do, it is a gift of God. The first part, the first three verses, we saw how we are, we are dead, we are enslaved, we are objects of wrath and condemnation. But here we begin to see what God does to us, what God is doing for us. There are three verbs that, that capture this passage, right? And all three verbs have this, uh, this, this uh, kind of prefix before it in Greek. And the way it's translated in English is it says it is with Christ and with Christ, right? you see in verse 5. Right, made us made us alive with Christ. So the word is, is sin, right? Which basically the root word is synonymous or synchronous and all these things, right? This idea that it's together. It's together. Right? Uh, so, so what basically it means is verse 5: God in his rich mercy made us alive together with Christ. And verse 6, and God raised us up. That's another next next thing. God raised us up together with Christ. And seated us with him, with Christ, together with Christ. Right? And all three, all of these three uh, verses, all these three tenses are past tenses. Again, something that has been done for you. Together, because of Christ, through Christ. When it says you are made alive together, you are no longer spiritually dead. Verse 6, when it says you are raised up together with Christ, you are no longer under guilt and shame. Verse 6, when it says you are seated together with Christ, you are seated at a place of honor and recognition and acceptance. And all this is summed up in verse 8. It says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not by your works. It is not something you have contributed. It is simply because of God's grace. There is a great transfer that happens. And I want you to imagine, right, you are dead. You are dead. You are spiritually dead. There is a great transfer that happens. What I deserve has been given to Jesus and what he deserves is being given to me. There is a great transfer. I deserve to be alienated from God. I deserve punishment and condemnation. Jesus for living a perfect life, for obeying the law, or for doing all the right things, he deserved honor. And praise and proclamation that well done, my faithful servant. He deserved all that. But my friend, on the cross, on the cross, I got what he deserved and he got what I deserved. On the cross, Jesus did not cry because of pain in his hands, because of the nails, or because nails were on his feet, or because he was wearing a crown of thorns. No, he cried saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is what I deserved. It is what I deserved. But on the cross, Jesus, there was a great exchange. He took what I deserved. He who knew no sin became sin for me friend it is by grace you have been saved it is not by your works it is not what i have done when i look at the cross when i understand what jesus did for me on the cross suddenly i began to realize god's grace is a free gift but it is not cheap it was a costly gift it cost jesus his very life and we don't deserve it we cannot afford it but we needed it we cannot live without it. If the knowledge that you are saved utterly by the grace of God does not thrill you, my friend, I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter what you've done, what your background is. It doesn't matter how sinful you are and, 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 the, and the guilt and sin that is ever before you. It doesn't matter. The grace of God is so much richer and so much powerful. There is no sin on earth that Jesus and his blood can never forgive. And if the knowledge that you are utterly saved by the grace of God does not thrill you all the time. If it does not explode joy, infuse joy into your life. My friend, then you don't understand how big a sinner you are. And how great his mercy and grace is for you. how do I understand the grace of God? I understand the grace of God by understanding the magnitude of my sin. And I understand the costliness of what Jesus did for me. And my friend, when I begin to understand that, oh, his grace is sweeter. His grace produces joy. There is gratitude welling up within me. And even as we think about this, and I, I want to quickly, quickly talk about this. Because in our culture, we always hear this. Some of us might say, yes, God's grace is a gift. But, but, uh, but, but you have to believe. You have to believe. Right? Yes, you can bring somebody to the water, but you have to drink the water. You, you heard of that? right? You have to drink the water. You have to believe. God has done his part. Now you have to do your part, which is faith, which is believing. Mm -hmm. This sounds very spiritual, but it is not biblical. I want us to think through this. It sounds very spiritual, but it is not biblical. You have no part in your salvation. Never come to the cross thinking that somehow you have believed him. No, my friend. Even the faith that you have is a gift from God. And I want you to understand this. It is not because you are somehow superior to somebody else. Oh, these are people who don't know Christ. But you have conjured up the faith within you apart from Christ. There is nothing good in us apart from Christ. I want us to understand this. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. (laughs) And he qualifies this. He qualifies the salvation and the faith. He says, It is not From yourselves, even the faith, even the saving faith you have, it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What, What is saving faith? What is this faith then? I thought I have to believe, I thought I have to have all these things. No! It is not something that I do along with what Christ has done because apart from Christ, we lack the intellectual ability to understand the gospel or the moral ability to believe the gospel. We cannot do anything apart from Christ. Even faith we have is a gift from God. And I want you to understand this. This is the reality. This is the reality. Today when we worship God, Oh, do not shortchange his glory by thinking you chose him. No, he chose you. Even the faith that you have is because he gave it to you. This is his grace. Saving faith is a gift of God. The character of saving faith is to rest and to receive It is not to offer something in return. My faith is not something in return I offer to him for what he has done to me. No, my friends. Saving faith is like an open, empty hand that you receive what Jesus has done for you. This is saving faith. It's an empty hand of faith. We bring nothing. We don't conjure up this faith. We merely exercise faith that God gives us. The perfect righteousness of Christ is God's gift. And even the means by which we receive it, is the Lord's gift given to us. And this is why His grace is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. It is apart from works. I cannot boast in anything. Everything you have today is because of His grace. Oh, the knowledge of our Savior... Everything, if you can worship him, if you understand, everything is because he has given it to you. It is by grace. So we see the dead. We are dead in sin. We see the grace of God. And lastly, I'm going to quickly finish with how this changes our life. It gives us a new life. And I begin to understand the grace of God. My life changes radically. And this is what I want you to ponder in your own heart. Is your life changing? How, how does this life look like in verse 10? It alludes to something. It says in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, even the good works, is by His grace. Now, I'm going to quickly give you three things that your life will experience when you begin to understand His grace. The first thing is holiness. Oh, my friends, I want you to think about this. My young friend, My young friend, I want to plead with you. Because Paul in Romans talks about this. The moment we encounter the grace of God, if the question you are asking is, oh yes, if if God is so forgiving, if Jesus is so loving, then can I do anything I want? Can I go ahead and do anything? Can I just sin? Can I just do whatever I want? Can I live my life? If you're going to ask Paul that question, Paul is going to tell you, my friend, you have not understood his grace. If that's the question that keeps coming in your heart, when you look at his grace and you say, now can I sin? Because grace may abound. Paul is going to tell you and I will tell you today, you have not understood his grace. Because when you understand, a right understanding of God's grace awakens love for him. Oh, love awakens love. A right understanding of his grace motivates you to live a holy life. Not to abuse God's love. Now, what do you think about this? Let's say, let's say I'm getting married to Deepa. Let's uh, uh, so many years back, I don't know when that was, but anyway. So we get married, and and let's say Deepa is professing her love through the vows, and she's saying, Ranjit, uh, through riches or poorer, through all these things, I'm gonna love you. And she she portrays her love for me. She makes a covenant with me. She says, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm gonna love you forever. And she is doing that to me. And I'm standing there at the altar. Just imagine this with me. I'm standing there, staring at her at this amazing profession of love for me. And the question that comes within me is, are you sure about it? Are you sure? What if, what if I do this? Will you still love me? Well, what, what if, what if, Deepa, let's, let's just take a pause. What if, two years later, what if, will you still love me? Is that, oh my friend, is that, is that the right response to a love like that? When I really understand that love, the right response would be, I will love you with all that I have. My friend, that is, when you understand the grace of God, when you understand what he has done for you, oh, your heart will be so moved to say, Lord, I want to live a holy life for you. I want to be set apart. That is your posture. Holiness. Secondly, humility. Humility humility when you see how much you need this grace and i talked about the dialysis when you see how much you need it and you don't deserve it you cannot live without it you cannot earn it you 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 know you need it but you cannot buy it there's no way you deserve this and then in that position you see jesus come and offer this gift to you, but he didn't just, he just didn't give it to you, it cost him his whole life. Oh, he gave his life for you so that he would die in your place, he would be condemned and he would be forsaken, oh, why would he do that? Oh, my friend, when I begin to understand how much I needed and how costly the gift is, it's going to humble me. It is going to humble me. I'm not going to get up from that place thinking I deserve this, I earned this. No, my friend. My posture towards people, my posture towards this world is a humble heart. You've got to be humble. Oh, when you have a daily access to this grace of God, your posture every day is one of humility. There's holiness. There's Humility you're not superior, you're not judgmental, you're not critical, you're not, you don't feel you're better than people, you're not arrogant, you're not proud, you're not even depressed in self-hatred, you're, because that is also a form of pride. Nothing. You, you are so enamored with the grace of God that it humbles you completely. And lastly, there's holiness. there's this humility. And lastly, there is joy. There is joy. My friend, there is joy. And I understand, especially my young friends, when you're in college, when you're going through things, maybe, maybe when you're working and there's stress of the work, Oh, maybe maybe there's all this pressure from family and all these things and your circumstances and your life is upside down and things feel like it's not working out. Or oh, you want some things to happen, but it's not happening. You are praying for something, but it seems doesn't, doesn't seem to happen. You're longing for something, but you're just waiting. Oh, my friend, it seems like the whole world is against you. Even then, when you understand the grace of God, there is joy. There is joy, I'm telling you, there is joy. There is joy that nothing, nothing can give. There is joy. When you see what Jesus has done for you, in the midst of your waiting, in the midst of the injustice, in the midst of all those things, when you see your Savior, that He died for you, you begin to understand how valuable you are. Or oh, you begin to understand how loved you are, how cherished you are. It doesn't matter what people tell you. It doesn't matter what family. It doesn't matter. You understand before Christ, you are so loved and adored and cherished and forgiven. Oh, that is all that matters. There is joy. There is joyful obedience. There is a joyful heart. There is a joy that is contagious. Do people see joy in your life? Are people able to see joy? Or when they see you, they look at you complaining and cranky and defensive and cynical. My friend, a graceful life. When you understand the grace of God, it leads you to holiness. It leads you to humility and leads you to a life of joy. And, And if there's something that you feel, you know what, Ranjit, it makes sense. I would urge you to run to the cross of our Lord Jesus and say, Lord, May this, may what you did, be the one that moves my heart, nothing else. I don't want anything to move my heart. I don't want disappointments or hurts or anything. I don't want anything. May what what you did on that cross for me, may that be the one that rules my heart. May your grace alone be my anchor. Let's pray. As we bow our heads in a moment, we're going to sing a song that even anchors what we believe through words and music. But as we prepare our hearts, would you come before him and would you say, Lord Jesus, how often I have lost sight of your grace. Father, how often I've lost sight of what you have done for me. This morning, would you, as as, as God's people, as individuals, as families, we come before him and say, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us because, forgive me for being so selfish and self-centered. Forgive me because I, my life revolves around me. Forgive me because I've lost sight. I don't know, I don't understand your grace. Father, this morning may... Oh, maybe get a glimpse into your grace. May we understand the, the riches and the depth of your grace. Oh, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not by works. It is not something I can boast. This morning we come before you recognizing that we, can, we cannot boast in anything. Father, this morning we lay our crowns before you. We lay our accomplishments and all the things that we think we can boast. We lay it at your feet and we count it rubbish, like how Paul says. This morning we boast in nothing apart from the cross of Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you are a God of grace. Oh, you are a God of grace. It is by grace that you sent Jesus into this world to die for us. Oh, it is by grace that Jesus sent the Spirit to indwell in us. It is by grace that you have given us gifts to serve you, to know you, to be part of our family. It is all your grace. Help us never to forget that.